Welcome to episode 618 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right, team, welcome to episode 618 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James. Oh, you got your jacket on, mate. It's pretty fresh out there, and you don't have the heater on here, so I've got to keep warm. Well, you just have to try and save on the power bills. Mate, we're moving house, got to save as much money as we can. <laughs> Tell you what, I'm going to be pretty happy when I don't have to bike down the bloody the cobbles every week. It's like riding a sector of Perry Roubaix yeah, or something I'm, like I'm that. Trying to keep it European for you. Very nearly fell off a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, very, it can be slippery, nearly. eh? Yeah, if you break the, if you don't use your front brakes. Yeah. That's the key, because mm-hmm. I have had, made that mistake. But John, although coming out of the new house, it's going to be a little bit steeper for you. Right. Yeah, just, you know, I'll, I'll keep you fit, mate. You know, it's my yeah. job. I'm talking, it's proudly brought to you by... Extreme Endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. And let's name a few. Nick the Admiral Rose, or I like to call him Nick Nose Rose. The Admiral. He, he, he'll blow one through you. Okay. That could be nose or gun, couldn't yeah. it? Uh, Mark the Unpredictable Wiltshire. And Brian, funny guy, Fallon. Funny guy, Fallon. This week's show, we've got some news. We've got a discussion of the week. We've got a website of the week. We've got an interview, John. Rob Green, spine tingler. He's a chiropractor. <clears> and <throat> I kind of thought it was about time. I, I know a lot of people that go to chiropractors and just rave. And I, I know do. you do. And yeah. uh, the fillinator. And I just think that chiro- the chiropractic industry maybe has a bit of a bad rap. And a lot of people are a bit worried. That's quite old school. So I thought we'd have a chat to him about what modern chiropractic work is all about. Uh, we've got Winger of the Week, uh, we've got my first try in there today, and we've got some questions and answers at the end. I, I'm, I'm, this, uh, this made me what the hell. I was almost going to, at the beginning of the show, I was going to say, oh, Kona's looking like it's going to blow up John, and I just to get you fired up a little bit. Yeah. But he, in the show notes, he's got all caps. Yes. Bolded. Bolded. <laughs> so, An F-bomb. <laughs> F-bomb, exactly. So this may go down the what the hell route. John, I reckon Kona's about to blow up. Well, that's the way the media is portraying it, and it's starting to fire me up and get me a bit annoyed, <laughs> as well as the locals. So I wanted to tell people a little bit about Kona. It's on the news every night right now. I, I think it is everywhere in the world, but it is ridiculous. And it's actually starting to have a really negative impact on Kona in terms of the tourism. Um, and... And so Ironman posted on their website, because the Kona 70.3 yeah. is there in a couple of weeks, and they posted on their website, um, you know, the event's still on, and, and, and sort of saying, look, there's no problem, it's all on the other side of the island. Some people were commenting, how can you run an event at a time like this? It's like, well, that's the first thing you've got to be doing is actually making sure that people still go to the island, which really is very, very dependent on tourism. Uh, tourism. So, to, to set the record straight, because the media don't know what they're talking about, it is amazing. You have a roving reporter over there for you too, don't you? Yeah, we do. Yep. So the area, first, first up, Kona, the island, the big island. It isn't actually that big. If you wanted to ride a lap of the island, it's uh, around about 400 kilometres. That doesn't give you a complete 100% full lap. But you know, so if you were to actually circumnavigate it, maybe it's 500 kilometres or so. Uh, so it's not that big an island. Where Kona is situated and where the, the Ironman course, the 70.3, and pretty much all the tourism happens is on the western side, kind of on the nor- north northwest kind of quadrant, if you were to look at it like that. 
where the volcanoes are happening is in the southeast quadrant. So it's quite a long way. Well, it's not as far as the crow flies. It's not actually that far. It's probably only about 100 to 150 k, so less than 100 miles for you American listeners. Um, but the thing is, it's in a, a very small isolated area, and it absolutely sucks for all the people that are getting uh, their houses ruined and stuff. But it is a very, very small isolated area. And the thing is, for, any, for, for it to affect the other side of the island, A, it's got to travel that 100, and, you know, 100 plus kilometres to get there in terms of any ash or anything like that. But in the way of that is a 3,500 metre high mountain. So there's, there's a little, apparently there's a little bit of extra smog and stuff in Kona, but that's pretty normal. But if anybody thinking about going to the John's western side up. of the island, go for it. Everywhere else in bloody Hawaii, I mean, I bet you Honolulu's getting people cancelling all their trips and stuff as well because they think that the bloody whole island chain's about to explode. But John, I saw the news. Yeah, I know. <laughs> God, media, do some bloody accurate reporting rather than clickbait shit. Well, I reckon right now, every time you watch the news right now, because it's on my news every night. Every night. You're getting fired up. I am. Very. <laughs> and then last night, they said the first casualty of the volcano. And holy shit, someone died. And someone who was near one of the eruptions got hit by a rock. It's like, what are you doing there? And then people are standing by their houses going, yeah, I'm going to move if it gets any closer. And you look over their right shoulder and there's like lava spewing <laughs> yeah, into the air. You're like, what are you on, morons? <laughs> so feel sorry for the people there. Very sorry. We know what it's like in Christ. You're having all these natural disasters, but bloody hell. Bit of, bit of balanced reporting, please. I reckon you should do a report when you're over there. I will Because you are going to be there next week. I am. I'm going to be there in two days. Two days? Mm. Well, I reckon John Newsom should send something to One News. I'll, I'll, I'll get on my Skype. Yep, get on your Skype. Yep. yep. I, here's a report from Kona. I called Simon, Simon, Dello, Dello and uh, Wendy, Petrie. Wendy Petrie. Yep. Right. I know Wendy's husband, so I might be able to hook you up. There you go. Or your mate, Blair Norton. Maybe we can get yep. in the sports news. Yep. Yep. Well he's, well, he's actually, I think he's main news now. Yep. I think he's one of the managers, John. So there you go. Here's another perspective. Deep breath. Carry on. Calm down, Charlie Brown. We had some results over the weekend. So we had some 70.3s. There's no big races happening. We had Ironman Lisboa. Chis challenge Lisboa. Ch sorry, Challenge Lisboa. Where's Lisboa, John? Uh, Spain? Yeah, uh, next to Spain and okay. Lisbon, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Uh, Pablo Gonzalez. Love the name Pablo. You just think of Pablo Gonzalez as well. Pablo Gonzalez. You get the name of the week. Uh, he, he took it out by 30 seconds. Uh, on the girls' side of things, Kareen Abraham took her race out by four minutes. Over in Barcelona, we had some slightly more interesting racing mm. with uh, Gomez. Javier Gomez at 70.3 Barcelona. He uh, outran David McNamee by a couple of minutes. So, you know, when you think David McNamee was... Second fastest run split in Kona last year. Uh, Gomez is still showing some pretty good forms. He won from three minutes and then Bart Arnott's back in third. It's a pretty strong field. Emma Pallant won the girls' race uh, by seven minutes. And then over in Chattanooga. What about Steel Suckle? It's his bike ride. So if you look in the field, pretty much everyone was over one, basically, was one person 106, everyone's 107. 206. Oh, sorry, 207. Um, two hours. Mm. Two hours thirty-seven. That's that's the norm now. I know. You're not going smoking, isn't it? Four hours for an Ironman bike split, or two hours for a half. You're you're mucking around. Yes. So uh, that was seventy point three. Chattanooga Starkowitz took it out uh, with a three forty-six, and Heather Jackson took out the girls, as Bevan said. Uh, Meredith Kessler racing up a storm. She got only just just got done here by. Uh, it was actually ended up being a minute, but she was uh, at one stage. I saw a picture of her running with Heather Jackson. So Meredith Kessler is raced. I don't know, 
three or four times in the last um, four or five weeks. So she is uh, a cranking up some points. So she probably wants to get to Kona, but she's um, yeah, she will need a good Ironman, I think, to get enough points. One thing I like about going to try rating because we always use try rating just to kind of talk about the coming up races, and we've got Lens already coming up. And the next couple of weeks, one thing Dawson does really well is he has the like, the previous winners, and you know, like basically 2005 is when well, as deep as he goes in his results, uh, and it's quite interesting really because that's kind of around when we started the show, and it's interesting to see the names that have come and gone, like Bella Bayless. Yes, you know, Bella Bayless was pretty mm-hmm. pretty never really in Kona, but won a lot of races outside of Kona. Mm-hmm. Um, Kat Morrison, what happened to Kat? Uh, yeah, no, I don't know about Kat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Bert Jammer, Bart Jammer, yeah, Bart yeah, Jammer. yeah, yeah. He's he was around for, and, and you see some guys getting their their strings of results like Ain Ala Johansson. He won it a couple of times, um, as Bevan said. Bart Jammer, and you see Enrico Lanos. You know, this is 2007. He won there, and he's still uh, still plugging away. Another yeah. 10 years later, and he had a long ITU career before that. So he's he's right up there in the Cameron Brown stakes in terms of uh, longevity of career. Yeah, pretty cool stuff. So we've got uh, Lynn's already coming up this weekend and Ivan Runner is the number one seed, at least based on Thorsten's rating. He is indeed. Um, so not a, you know, it's, it's a interesting, very interesting field there. So you could have quite a few different dynamics going on. You've got Alexandro Di Giuseppe, uh, but then you've got Cyril Vino, who's a fantastic runner, had some top tens in Kona. And then you have Cam Worth, who will likely uh, smash it off the front on the bike and see if he can hang on on the run. Also, Roman Guillaume. Uh, then on the girls' side of things, pretty decent sized field. You've got yeah. 30, 31 pros. Uh, girls should be quite a good race. You've got Yvonne Van Vlerk and Lucy Gossage and Michelle Vestibu, who are you know the clear top three favourites, and Torsen's ratings has them uh, only a three-minute spread across uh, the three of them, but... You never know uh, who's strongest in terms of the, the hilly courses. So Ivan Rana, it's going back to Ivan Rana. <coughs> Again, another guy who's been around. So he had a he had a sprint finish with Bevan Doherty for the ITU Worlds in 2004, and he'd been around for a long time before that as but well. But his Ironman career, you'd say, has been a bit of a letdown. Uh, it's been a bit of a yo-yo. He's been up and down, and he's put in some really good run performances. But potentially he could have been, maybe not Frodo level, but coming over you would have thought he's... Yeah, yeah he would, you know, if he could make that transition wisely. Because the thing about him is, like, you think of Bevan. Bevan came in, had mainly crappy results, one great result or a couple mm. of great results, and then thought, no, nah, it's not going to happen, so I moved on. But Ivan's really stayed in the game for a long time with mixed results. And the thing with him, he was uh, he was a pretty strong rider. You know, he tried to ride as a pro, in like a pro team. Now, granted, it would have been a third, fourth tier pro team, um, but he can clearly ride a bike, and he obviously had the running pedigree from his running, and you can swim if you do ITU. So, yeah, I mean, he had some good performances. Um, maybe we have to look him up and... Uh Maybe it's a new feature for the show, Bev. Oh, a new time feature. Time to time we'll do a look like back the in the history of uh, of people's iron distance performances and sort of see how they have actually performed rather than what we think they performed. He might have had a lot more results than uh, than we perhaps give him credit for. Oh, he's currently thirty eight. So okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna try find that when you talk about Ironman Brazil. Oh, no, I can find it in two seconds. I know where to go. Oh, where do you go? Um, you go to trysplits.com. Okay, trysplits, I'll go. Uh, okay, so last year we had Bart Arnott's take it out uh, from Alexandro Di Giuseppe and Jesse Thomas. On the girls' side of things, Lucy Charles took it out this year. She's not returning. Kareen Abraham and Lucy Gossage. For somebody who's gone back to work, Lucy Gossage is doing quite a few races. <laughs> Good on you. Uh, Very productive. Ironman Brazil is also coming up and a bit like we had in Lanzarote. You see these guys that have had strings of victory there. Um, I, 
Olaf Shibustis had some quite a few victories along with Oscar Galindez and Eduardo Sterler. Uh, girls side of things is a lot more one-time winners. Last year we had uh, Tim Don set a course record there. Yeah. Course record. World record. No, course record. World, John. Uh, Ironman world record. With a dojo domination of 25 minutes. That's what was really impressive about that result, wasn't it? It was TT. It was, it was TT, you yeah. know. But that's was Frodo's world record. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, there's been a number of them. So Tim Don's... Because back in the day when it was, you know, those guys who went under sub eight for like a 751, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, there was a pack of four, mm -hmm. you know, and you always said, well, if we need another race where you get that pack of four. It's proving that these, are, these efforts are pretty phenomenal, yeah, aren't they? Tim Don swam 44, rode 406, and ran a 244 last year for a 740.23. Last year, Susie Cheatham took out the girls' race in 852, and again, that highlights how good Tim Don's performance is when he's an hour and 12 minutes in front of you know another Kona top tenner in Susie Cheatham. This year's um, field, it's it's this year it's not the regional championships, which it has been quite a few other years. So uh, initially when I looked at the field, I thought that's a bit bloody weak for a regional championship. But the regional champs this year has actually moved to Argentina and it's going to be in December. So with that, we've got very much a Brazilian-dominated field with Igor Amario, uh, Fabio Carvalho and Ronaldo Colucci, your top three seeds on the, the men's side of things from Torsten's ratings. And on the girls' side of things, uh, Sierra Pampiano, Hayley Chura and Kirsty Yarn. So a few more internationals on the girls' side, but on the guys, it's uh, very Brazilian-dominated. With the wheelchair, with the... Uh, Latin chips, they call it? it? Latin, no, they're South American. South There's America. also Latin American championships, but I think they only do a 70.3. Okay, so so for that to be in December... Is that, is that a good time move? I think it's a good good move, yeah. There's enough championship races now. You know, we've got Ken's coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, we've just had North America. Um, and then we're going to have, uh, uh, we'll have the European in, what, July. So I think it's a really good opportunity also for those that don't go to Kona. Is Africa still South Africa? And yeah, and yeah. we've just had Africa as well. So if we had this now, it's like boom, 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 boom. So I think it gives the up-and-coming pros a really good opportunity to race in a good event, although it is going to change a bit next year with the, the, the change in qualifying structure. But if it was this year, you'd say, okay, that's a good chance to, to bank some really good points. So I think it's, I think it's a good move. Is it a little bit too far away from Kona? Because, you know, like normally... For like, those that want to do the double, yes, but for those... Well, also that, for those who don't do well in Kona, mm, could turn up to a championship race... You know, you'd always want it more November. But that, everything's going to change this, this year because, you know, you're pretty much going to have to win an Ironman. No, but I'm, I'm, I'm just more thinking the, the guys who turn up to Kona have a crap day, still fit. Well, that, then they go off and do Cozumel. Yeah, no, but the championship race, you can make more money. It's true. You know, so like I kind of think if you had it more mid-November, late November, or maybe yeah, mid-November, month but after Kona. Then you get the same people at Kona going, well, I haven't got enough time to recover. If they do well in Kona, I go, I want to do my regional championships as well. So you're never going to win. So I, I think it's actually, I think it's better. It's got more going for it than it hasn't. I, I, I do think they need to bring the, New Ze the Australasian one forward more. I think I it needs agree. to move from McKean's. It needs to come. Yeah. I'm in New Zealand. It's all like about the money. Yeah, but it's just like, as you said then, we've got America, we've got Australia, we've got mm -hmm. Europe, we've had mm -hmm. Africa. When was Africa? There's a while ago. in April. So you're having all your championship races in like a three-month block. Mm. No, it should either go to New Zealand or, yeah, I don't know. I suppose. I mean, Australia potentially. So I would, I would agree, it move, should move. Yeah, I mean, New Zealand, I'm just saying. Mm. Uh, going back to Ivan Runner. So Ivan Runner actually started off really successfully. He moved over to Ironman in 2012. He won Cozumel. Mm -hmm. He got 20th at Frankfurt. Switzerland, he got second. 
He got sixth in the World Championship in 2013. So at this stage, you're thinking, yep, pretty big career. Went on one Ironman Austria in 2014. So he a year off between there. So he did a 748. Mm-hmm. So he smashed that, which is a fast course. Got second in South Africa. He got 17th in the World Championship 2014. In South Africa, he won, got second. Third in Austria in 2015. 12th in the World Championships in 15. Fifth in Lanzagrotti in 16. Ninth in the World Championship. So he's got some top 10s. Austria, 15th. This is last year. World Championship, 11th. And then Cozumel, 11th last year as well. Yeah, so like... You would have expected him... A bit better. A bit better. Yeah. Particularly out... Top six in Kona was good, yeah. but you would have expected him to maybe win a few more races, eh? Hmm. You know, definitely. Okay, still not, not terrible, but of his pedigree. Okay, John, we've also coming up, we've got the Frenchman. Oh, guys, if you're in Europe, you've got so much choice for races, equally in America, but there's so many non-branded races in America in Europe which are, which are cool. So the Frenchman, Ben Sanson, if you're an ITU... Um, Stalwart and been watching that for years. He used to be a guy that used to just smash the swim to pieces and uh, either try to do a solo breakaway on the bike or have one or two others. But he was a, an amazing swimmer and a, and a pretty interesting character as well. But the Frenchman's in its sixth year uh, and they've had really nice progression. They started with 200 athletes and they've built up to 500 athletes. And the Frenchies do things well is they often have a weekend of events so they'll have like maybe the long course in this example on the Saturday and then the short course kids race and everything on Sunday and one of the advantages with that is then you get all the people that are racing on Sunday yeah. out spectating on Saturday and, and vice, and vice versa, versa yeah. or they might help with the event uh, so obviously in France there's a lot of places where you can run events relatively easy it's a big country you've got lots of uh, open spaces so it's not a not a you know it's not like it's in the middle of Paris or anything like that so and the entry point is just so good in terms of price 329 euros compared to you can pay nearly double that um, or at least you know significantly more for, for an M dot race. Uh, last year we had a guy called Boris Dessenoir take it out at 8.37 and uh, the girls side of things Elo Davy took it out in 9.52 so if you want to go for a slightly different race next year get out of your comfort zone go to France there's also the Ballot on the Man Kinesse don't know too much about that one and another extreme triathlon the Perrine Extreme, which is in the Pyrenees on the Spanish side. Uh, this, it looks like last year they did a bit of a test event. It, it looked like they only had a handful of athletes doing it, and I couldn't really see any setup in terms of uh, transition area or anything. Yep. So I think it was more of a test event. But they did do a little um, video clip, and they seriously started in the dark in the swim. They had a, a flashing light on the back of the the boat. Uh, on the bike, there's 4,400 meters of climbing. Oh my God! So that's uh, that's plenty. Uh, and then on the run. 2,100 metres of Small elevation change. And, uh, and the pictures they did show that they were they running sticks. with sticks. Yeah. And the, the first, early in the run, you go over a climb of 700 metres elevation, and then you come back down, and then you get up over 2,100 metres elevation. And you're pretty much going right back to sea level, aren't you? Or not, not well, far not off so, it. Yeah, you, you you're know. going down quite a long way. So you've got uh, you know over 1,000 metres of climbing yeah. in the second climb. So... Good times. If you want to check out these websites, go to k226.com and they have them all listed up there. Does the, the, the expansion of these kind of more extreme races, I wonder if it's heard in Norseman or I think it was Norseman still just the, the I don't gold think standard. Norseman. I just think a lot of these events will struggle to get big numbers. And it is a niche thing, isn't it? Mm. You know, because it is. Yeah, it is very niche. It's just but, kind but of awesome at the same time. Yeah, it kind of depends if you're going down the whole. 
serious traffic management, if you've got to do all the serious traffic management stuff, that really is well, what depends will kill on country, your won't costs. It? Yeah. You know, like in New Zealand, it would be absolutely inconvenient to try to put a race on like this on. But if you, if it was a case that you could run an event where you just have a marshal on the corners, yeah. then, uh, yeah, it's a hell of a lot more feasible and, and then self-supported on the run. Yeah, good times rock and roll. Old school. Old school, John. Um, Ironman is heading to do a full Ironman in Ireland. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. More selection for you guys over there. Yeah. So it's in a very small town in uh, down in sort of more southern Ireland. Uh, it looks like a pretty cool little place to go and do a race. So you guys check it out. But tiny town, so you need to do your logistics and get onto it early if you're going to do it. Leander Cave retires. It's, it's, it's a pretty significant thing, isn't it? Like, and we haven't seen a lot of her in the last period of time, but she won Kona. She did win Kona, and she she wasn't a prolific winner of races, but she won Kona and the 70.3 Worlds in the same year. Yeah. And that was when 70.3 Worlds was, was building. It was still a pretty big deal, yep. but it wasn't like those really early years where it was, wasn't really that much of a championship race. But So she did that. So she done that double. I think Crowe might be the only other person that's ever done that. No, didn't Fredino do it? Um, may have done, may have done. Yeah, you might be right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's pretty significant. But she's also one of the only athletes that's also won the ITU Worlds as well. So a lot of people won't know well, that. Tell us sure about her ITU career. Was she that successful? Double check that. I'm sure she's won the ITU Worlds one she year. Wasn't she one of those athletes? Because I, I hung out from where we wrote one year and we were kind of just hanging out one day. God knows why I was hanging out for but we're hanging out day. And I'm pretty sure she was telling me she was one of the athletes who helped Britain get to the Olympics but didn't get to go to the Olympics. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She raced her nuts off to go and, uh, and get, a, get a slot and then she didn't get selected. So, she, you know, in terms of her IT career, she was a, a good athlete, but you wouldn't call her a great athlete, but she just had that one race. Can you double check? I'm sure she won ITU Worlds one year. Okay, I'll end uh, and, and I think she just got lucky one day and just had this, this amazing race and, and pulled it off. So... Good on her. Leander Good Cave, team. okay, so she currently is 40. Mm -hmm. uh, personal life, she was uh, <laughs> moved to Australia when she was young. Did you know that? Returned to England yes. with her mother as Welsh, where she chose to represent Wales, growing up in Cave Swarm. Ran cross-country and surf life-saving. Uh, Cave met German triathlete Thorsten Abel in 1999. They married in 2010. There you go. They're not married anymore. Right? No, currently <laughs> so, yeah. uh, Okay, so here's her results. So 2012, she won the Ironman World Championship. Mm -hmm. She also won two, uh, the 2012 in Las Vegas, the 70.3. She got silver 2010 mm -hmm. and bronze in 2007 at the 73.3 World Championships. She won the ITU World Championships in Calcan. Cancun. Cancun, Cancun. I'm hoping right. some names, aren't I? Uh, in 2002, uh, two, she Which won. It's even more impressive because that's a real. Uh, I don't recall watching that race. I'll have to go on triathlon dot, uh, or uh, triathlonlive.tv and watch that because um, that's a flat, pancake flat course. She must have gotten a, a good breakaway and just outrun the swimmers because that was probably the same era, sort of the barb link. What was she known for era. as a triathlete? As a, uh, as a short course? Just a bit of an all good swimmer, but just a bit of an all rounder. Okay, so yeah. she wasn't like a rock star either. No. Um, she won the ITU Long Course World Championships in 2007, got silver in 2011. She won the European Championship, Triathlon European Championship in 2002. So 2002 was a big year for her. Mm. She was under three world champion. Under 23. 23, sorry, yeah. Uh, and got silver at the Commonwealth Games. So pretty great career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, like she won short course. And long course, well, I mean, it's it kind of looks kind of kind of came in fits and starts. It's it really not like does she it, yeah. was, It's not like she was going to win an Ironman every year or anything like that. But she know. wasn't a dominant athlete. Yeah. But when she did dominate, bloody impressive. She has to go down as a legend, doesn't she? Yes, I would. I would say that if you win Kona, 
think that goes a legend. And when you've got other world titles as well across all because that's the world when she won the long course uh, the world ITU World Championships. That was when it was just one race in a day, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, and she won. So she won three of our most prestigious medals. Yes. Yeah, there you go. And unfortunately, she didn't get to go to the Olympics. So that's an unfortunate thing. So anyway, that's Ali in the cave. John, we're going to pause because we're going to interview. And we are back. Uh, we had an interview. We're going to put on really soon. But John's ITU update. We had the latest round of the World Cup, uh, which was in a new venue in Astana. So one of the former Russian states. But unfortunately, it was a little bit chilly on the willy and the girls oh, didn't really? actually get to swim. And they, they, oh, really? Yeah. So they had to change the girls into a duathlon. Wow. Um, but the guys, by the time they raced in the afternoon, the temperature had got up to such well, that they... Do you know what the ruling is? Uh, there's there's a bit of a there's, a there's a balance between air temperature and okay. water temperature, um, and just and, and then they've got it's it's very straightforward. That's the cool thing. It's yeah. not it's like if this happens, boom boom boom. They've just got this chain of uh, of outcomes or, or what they changed to. So the guys actually ended up being able to swim 750 meters, but I imagine it was still pretty bloody cold. Was it a short course race? Uh, it was an Olympic distance. So race. they just shortened the swim. Mm. Okay. So girls did a triathlon. Guys did a triathlon with a shortened swim. Dmitry Polyansky took the race out uh, and. On the girls' side of things, the Frenchies were just uh, killing it. Um, and my page is just waiting to load. Uh, Sandra Dode took it out in one hour 57. Girls are running about 35 to 36 minutes at this sort of level. And uh, Frenchies took first, second, and fifth. So, next round of the, the big kahunas, the WTS series, is in Leeds on the 9th and 10th of June. And at that race, they're also going to have the mixed relay. So, we've got to remember that Olympic qualifying is now happens, is underway for the individuals but it'll also be Olympic qualifying for, for the team's race. I don't think for the strong countries it's really going to be much of an issue whatsoever, but for some of those weaker nations that might be trying to squeak in, uh, I'd imagine these um, you know, build-up races are going to be fairly important. Right. <coughs> right. S sorry, my, my computer's just totally stopped on me for, for no reason at all. So you've got here, what the hell, and you've got a link from... Well, so, so John Jacobs was getting a bit fired up. It's a up. good name, John Jacobs. Uh, JJ. JJ, JJ uh, he was getting fired up, but then he kind of watered it down a little bit because he, he posted on our on our Facebook page that uh, he's off to challenge Venice. And we've got to give you know we give we give yep. my man hey, hard goes time. Both ways, yep. Goes yep. both ways. We love challenge, but he, if they drop the ball, he he's got pretty he got pretty annoyed because he's going to challenge Venice and he's going to they've changed the bike course and he's going to ride seven laps around an industrial estate slash a port. It'll be bloody boring and a complete draft fest. And so I've got to agree that firstly, changing a bike course relatively close to the race is pretty crap, but seven laps. Now, he was worried about the drafting, which if, if you were to do seven laps in a, in a race with several thousand people, it would be an absolute debacle. It couldn't be done. Um, but it sounds like they haven't got a massive field. So I don't think it'll be a, a massive problem with the drafting when you've only got sort of four or 500 people on the course. But maybe it is, because it's only 25k a lap. Yeah, but spread that out of, you know, four or 500 people. I think that's going to work okay. But the challenge, the, the, the thing that I've got an issue with this is seven laps is too many to count. Oh, Seriously, too many to count. Seven. You cannot count seven. <laughs> I, I'm no joke. One, two, three. Oh, what's next? <laughs> yeah, but once you've been out there for three, four hours, I mean, a lot of people. Will but maybe they'll have the, the collar system. Remember when I'm in New Zealand, we used to do laps and you go around, they put the thing in your arm? Yeah, yeah that's only a few, I mean, you only get two or three of those. I, I, yeah, might fall off because it gets so tight. You've got to get seven seven bands or something as you go through. I just think that's really poor course design. And, oh, it's terrible course design. And it's 
not that interesting. Uh, and, and there is potential. I know you're dismissive of the drafting, but there is potential. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's more, there's more potential. And, and it's just, and, and you're going to get a lot of, um, you know, fast people passing yeah. slow people, not just once. Like it happens at most races once when you've got a two lapper course, but when it's going to happen multiple times, yeah, it's just starting to get a bit dangerous. So I think the danger is probably more of an issue than drafting. So Challenge Venice. Pull up your socks. Sharpen up. Okay, well, John, let's talk about our sponsor. We've got Extreme Endurance. You're like the buffer. Tell me about it, Jombo. We have. When we're, later on the show, we're talking to Rob Green. Actually, next uh, on the show. Next, we're yeah. talking about uh, chiropractic work. And one of the things you know, he talks about is, is making sure your joints are all looking, you're looking after your joints. One of the things you can do through Extreme Endurance is Joint 4, which is four fast-acting natural ingredients for joint health. It's a scientific-based formula based off four prov- proven ingredients, glucosamine and chondritin support joint synovial fluid cartilage and connective tissues and boswella and msm provide anti-inflammatory properties this unique formula has been helping to reduce discomfort in joints for 20 years so helps provide relief from your joint discomfort supports joint structure and tissues all natural ingredients and there you go only 33.95 for a pack of those put a put your im talk 20 promo code in there and you get 20 percent off so Look after your body and check it out on xendurance.com or on the .eu or .co.uk. Promo code should work on all of those. So check it out, xendurance.com. Xendurance, extremeendurance.com. Check, check, check it out. Okay, this week's discussion. So last week we were kind of saying, now that the Southern Hemisphere season is done, although it's not John, because we've got the championship race coming in a couple of weeks. A game that should be moved to Ironman New Zealand. Uh, we want to know what has been the most impressive performance that you have seen. We also want to you to give the best performance that maybe hasn't had much credit. And Swanee Noah came in straight away and said, Terenzo going sub eight in Taupo by him um, and Joe Skipper putting 10 minutes on the bunch during the second lap of the bike, especially after comparatively slow swim and a massive transition on the horrible road. So Richard Swan has got so much man love for Terenzo. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> but Trenzo is very impressive performance. Yeah, totally. And he, Richard has also got Daniel Pulu, so he's got brother-in-law. He's also Trenzo's coach, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. Uh, brother-in-law of the beloved cricketer World Cup hero, Grant Elliott. That was one of the best sporting moments ever. <laughs> Did you watch that game? Yes. The, what, come on, let's be honest. That was... Because he had six of the last audience. ball. It doesn't mean anything, but yeah, we, we Grant Elliott was, was it's folklore, you know, smacked us. So it was for us to get into the final of the World Cup cricket, and basically what happened was, it was maybe two balls to go, we needed six runs. So, you, pretty big challenge, and he hits a six. And I tell you what, even I'm getting tingling thinking about it right now, <laughs> it was unbelievable. And like Joe and I were watching it, we were jumping up and down, like it was abs- oh, John, get a bit emotional. Uh, well, his, well, Daniel... He did an 8.35 as an age group in Ironman New Zealand, which is bloody impressive. Camp Christine McKinlay, the grinder, saying Cam Brown's performance at Ironman New Zealand. Yeah. What did he run? 2.42? It was fast. Yeah. Matt Young replied to her saying, yep, the 40-plus crew, Cam, Crowey, and Marino, can't wait till they all become age groupers. (laughs) Uh, Brendan John Murray also saying, Crowey, string of second places in all the three-hour 40 sort of mark. Unlikely to be beaten and probably not hailed for the quality of his extended career, which we are so fortunate to witness. Uh, Nick Morales has got Ken Glar qualifying for his 35th consecutive Ironman World Championship race at Ironman New Zealand by winning his age group. He is a rock star. 
few people have claimed their own performances as being um, oh, good, good, so enough. we're, we're, we're going to... You can't give yourself yeah. love. Uh, Michael Rand, Laura Sedell's sub nine at Ironman New Zealand. I don't think she went sub nine. I think she went nine hours and a few seconds. I had a quick look at that yesterday, but it was still a bloody impressive performance. On then backing that up uh, with a win at Ironman Australia. Truly amazing athlete, also a string of podiums in a bunch of half-distance races. She has been yeah, a very productive first uh, five months of the year. She's really been pretty amazing, really. Uh, Ryan Kirvin has got uh, Southern Hemisphere is not quite, but how about the Asia Pacific Championship in Kens? Yep, Jorg Reinau saying this is a good one. Lionel Sanders' swimming time improvements are impressive. Yep, Tim Ford's got Lucy Charles at Ironman Western Africa. It was pretty impressive. And last one I've got on here, Morton Paulson saying Matt Hansen. Don't know if that's for the most impressive performance or the uh, most underrated performance. Yeah, that was the last one I saw as well. Okay, John, your thoughts? Uh, the ones for best, I'm, I'm, I've got to go. I've got to back up Swanee there. I think. Going to give some man lover, yeah. Sub eight at oh. Ironman New Zealand by Terenzo. I didn't. Th I mean, the, the the conditions were perfect. Everybody went really fast. Yeah. But at the same time, I never really thought no, that you, we'd get a sub eight. If at, I at said Taupo. to you five years ago, "Oh, they're going to do a sub eight in Taupo," you wouldn't believe me. No. Oh. You're like you would have been dismissive of me. <laughs> you would have laughed at me. <laughs> I would have punched Just me would have been a normal, normal day in <laughs> the yeah, office. Pretty much. <laughs> Luckily, I'm used to it, so yeah. it was okay. But yeah, like, like that was freakish. Yes. Because like, remember when was it Bevan did 107? No, 117 or one. What did Bevan do? Maybe maybe eight oh seven something like 807. that. Eight oh seven. Sorry, you're not one. If you don't one oh seven, that yeah. would have been really impressive. You've been drinking this morning, haven't you? I tell you, mate, I've got a problem. <laughs> I've, got, I've gone to the spirits. Um, like we thought that was pretty freakish. Mm. So a sub eight nine in New Zealand, and just his string of performances have been. Uh, yeah, he's he's my highlight impressive. so far. Uh, the ones that I think uh, not enough credit is Ivan. Tutakin, uh, Tutakin, who got second at Ironman Texas with a 2.35.20. So Matt Hansen, rightly so, gets a lot of credit for an insanely fast run. But this guy, Tutakin, most people would have never heard of him before. He was only like 30 seconds behind or something like that. Mm. So for both of them to run, you know, 2.35, 2.34 is insane. Now, that, unfortunately, there's always going to be the, an asterisk with that result. You know, we look yeah. at... We've talked about Tim Don's result and, and Ray Lurt and um, the recent one in Henning Texas. and things like that and, and Frodo. They've done it solo. These ones are always going to have that little bit of an asterisk there, but it's still pretty bloody impressive. And honourable mentions, as we mentioned before, Laura Sedell with uh, two Ironman wins probably doesn't get enough credit for the, for the start of the season that she's had. Also, it's, it's nice watching her growth curve. You know, like, because, you know, last year she won, what she won last year? Australia. Yeah, but, you know, she's First kind of... Ironman won. Yeah, and this year she's kind of gone to that next step. You know, she's kind of really taken that next gear. So, you know, wrote last year was good for her as well. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, she's just kind of... It's nice watching a career of an athlete as they keep progressing forward, and Laura's definitely doing that right now, so well done, Laura. Um, this week's discussion, what are the worst race director decisions you have ever encountered and you still reflect upon and pisses you off? I would say, John, you need to let it go, but I imagine John has a few answers here. Um, I don't, actually. I mean, this was sort of um, came from the, from the Challenge Venice one where they've changed the course to, to a seven-lapper. JJ? Yeah, sometimes you go, okay, fair enough that the race director made a bit of a... a era there or whatever but I've kind of over it but what still really grinds you okay what's still not just the grinder but what still really grinds you what is the worst this race director go, I'm getting ground by the grinder in a couple of weeks oh nice so I, might, <laughs> I should get my reminder yeah yeah you haven't been in a couple of years have you 
I go regularly, Bevan. Well, last time I went, she said, I haven't seen John in a while. <laughs> and she made, she said, make sure you get him along because your teeth are important, John. It's an investment. Thomas is actually sitting in the dentist chair right now mm. getting his first filling. Oh. Not my fault. Not my fault. The fishes, you know, I've got special teeth. It's like, whatever. <laughs> you got special teeth? Well, if your fishes are at a certain angle, apparently it's not necessarily your fault. You might not be, but I'm saying, Thomas, just brush your teeth properly. Yeah, mate, brush your teeth. And floss. Tell him Bevan's strategy. Flossing's mm. more important. Okay. You're, uh, claiming, we're you're claiming that strategy. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. made it up. Yep, I did. Um, Rob Green, listener of the show, Spine Tingler, mm -hmm. good supporter of the show. He's on right now and he's going to be talking about chiropractor in our sport. Okay, guys, um, this week we have Rob, the Spine Tingler Green on the show. He's a <laughs> chiropractor from Richmond, Virginia, and for you guys out there that ride Zwift forever, uh, some weeks you'll know that the course actually goes to Richmond, Virginia because they had the UCI World Cycling Champs there a few uh, years ago, so you might have you might be riding past Rob's neck of the woods. So, And Rob's also an Ironman athlete. He's qualified for Kona. In 2014, he was over there and passed me on the run when I think I was uh, bent over uh, putting, my, putting my lunch somewhere on the sidewalk. So welcome along to the show, Rob. Yeah, thank you very much, man. Uh, John, you're, you're my Pete, you're... You're my Peter Reed. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, man, I got you on an off day, so I appreciate that. <laughs> You'll take it, eh? Yeah, amen. Um, so look, one of the reasons I, I was really keen to get you on the show was um, I said in the, the intro earlier in the show, you know, a lot of, a lot of athletes that I know go to the chiropractor and, and, are, and are raving about it, but I think there's a lot of people's perception out there that chiropractic work is it's pretty old school. You go in there and you get your back cracked and you basically walk out the door and, and job's done. And I think a lot of people are, are sort of uh, a bit intimidated uh, about that. So I want to try to shed some light on what actually goes on these days. So maybe just talk us through um, when, when you get somebody coming along to your practice, um, what do you kind of do and what are you looking for as opposed to say somebody who might be going to a, I don't know, a sports doctor or a physiotherapist or something like that? What, what are you sort of looking for? Yeah, so um, I mean, we're all part of the same team. So I think, um, you know, we're fitting in well as far as like integrating in with uh, physio and, and, and sports docs and everything. And, and people have those misconceptions of, of Cairo as far as always thinking that, you know, the adjustment cures all, right? You go in you get your back cracked and, and you feel a lot better. Um, and there's, there's times when that works, but, um, in, in our world now, you know, that's a tool in the toolbox. So when somebody comes in, you know, we do manipulations, we do adjustments. Um, and that's, that's a tool we use for, you know, areas of the spine or joints that might be tight. Um, but a lot of times, unless somebody's experienced it, they don't realize that there's, there's so much more to it than that. Uh, as far as dealing with a lot of repetitive soft tissue injuries, um, using corrective exercises, really addressing the body as a whole. So that way we're, we're making sure that they, you know, we're fixing an injury that they're dealing with, but we're making sure that their, their body's back in balance, that they're moving properly, that they have healthy tissues and, and that they are good at controlling um, uh, their sport-specific movements. So when you say I'm a new patient, I'm coming in, what, what kind of an initial assessment do you do and what are you looking for in regards to, you know, from a chiropractic kind of view? Yeah, so people first come here, obviously the majority are, are dealing with something. So they've, they've got pain, they've got, a, they've got a problem that they're trying to solve. Uh, and by the time we get them, it's, it's probably interrupted their training. So they're um, so they're, they're motivated and, and need resolution. So 
from my perspective, when we get somebody in for the first time, you know, we're, we're taking a history of them. We want, you know, what hurts, how did it hurt? What did you do? What's your training like? Um, you know, do you know what you did? And, and it's not uncommon that, that somebody doesn't know exactly what they did. Um, so we're, we're getting kind of a sense of, of where they are and maybe some previous injuries that they've battled. Um, and then once we have all that information, we have an idea of, of obviously um, what tissues are injured and what we need to fix. But you know, the, the important question that we have to answer is, is well, why is that why is that area hurt? And if they don't have a known mechanism, we take them through a physical examination, um, evaluating everything, you know, in looking at the body as as a chain of movements rather than individual movements mm-hmm. uh, and finding where their where their limitations are. You know, we look for you know, sometimes it's because people don't move very well and sometimes it's because they move too much. Um, sometimes it's simply just because they're they're overused from training. So we're really looking for the body as a whole, as far as what their what what their um, what their functions are. A lot of the time that um, and you put you pop me an email with a few few notes on there. Often people think that part of my body's sore. You know, for example, I've got a sore back, so I've got a problem with my back. But that's often being you know that's sort of more the the, the source of the pain, but they're actually not really sure if that's being directed from somewhere else. You know, a typical one for, you know, riding on the bike, you know, people get a sore back, but that's not necessarily their back-related issues. It's often tight hamstrings. So is that sometimes quite a challenge for you, sort of uh, figuring out where where things are actually the, the stem or the root of the cause? It is. It is. It's key, and I've learned over time to, to educate the patient, to, to let them know that we, we both both – both essentially have the the same um, goal. You know, we want we want resolution. We want it as quick as we can. And and to get them to understand that, you know, in our world of cumulative trauma, um, more times than not, and 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 I say that pretty strongly in, in clinical experience, um, the area that hurts, the area that they're feeling pain is is an area of of overuse. And then the question is, well, why is that area overused? And it's it's. It's very common that something else isn't doing its job. Mm-hmm. I, um, I I use the, uh, the analogy all the time of a group project. So if, if uh, we had a group project, the three of us, and it was it was due next week, and Bevan and I bailed out on you, John, and, and you were left. <laughs> typical, to do it. typical. Yep, we're out. We're just hanging out. You know, we're just kind of in the corner, just watching John work away. Um, you know, by the time that project's due. Who's the one that's burned out? Who's the one that looks exhausted? Uh, and that's John, right? So a lot of times when somebody's injured and, and they feel pain, it's it's the area that's over overworked. Um, and so we need to make sure that John recovers and gets back in action, but we got to also pick up the two knuckleheads off the uh, off the bench and get them back in play as well. And, and that's the secret to resolution is finding those knuckleheads. And, um, and, and the challenge can be, those are usually silent. You know, they're kind of just uh, sleeping and not doing their work, and and that's what we're looking for. So to get a patient to understand that, you know, where they feel pain is important. But if we really want the long term, we want to get them back in training, and we want them to not injure themselves again. We got to make sure that um, um, we're finding the source of it. And and sometimes that's the same spot. More times than not, it's a different location. And so, what are, what are the kind of the main things you're looking for? to help you determine what what needs to be assessed and what needs to be kind of worked on? So we really have, if, if somebody's going to be a patient of ours, if we're going to be effective for them, we're really looking for three main um, 
components. And, and somebody's either in one, if not all of them. Uh, very simply, we look for mobility. Can, can you move? And, and that's very sport specific, right? So triathlon doesn't take a tremendous amount of range of motion, uh, but it's important that we have the appropriate amount. Like if somebody can't extend their hip, um, that, that's a common thing I see. If, if somebody's hip extension, um, they've lost uh, proper hip extension, they're going to hyperextend their back on the end of their gait. So they may experience low back pain. Uh, the location of that pain is is their low back, but the source of it is their hip flexor doesn't doesn't operate properly. Um, so we're looking for mobility. Can you move? Um, we're looking for soft tissue quality. What's what's the tissue like? Is there damage? Has there been you know, uh, scar tissue building up from overuse? Is your body uh, overprotecting that area? Uh, and then thirdly, can you control that motion? So can you move? What's the soft tissue quality like? And then what's the coordination of that motion? Can that can that region support the movement that you're asking it to do? So when you actually do an adjustment, um, so let's you know, maybe talk us through some of the treatments you do, but specifically the adjustment. So if you crack somebody's back or you know, make an adjustment there, what are you actually doing and what is, it, what is the, the desired outcome? Obviously we're trying to move more freely, but what's actually happening to, to allow that to happen? You're taking a um, so you're taking a joint to end range, uh, and and you you do that slowly, and then once you get to that end range, you provide a, a high force, low amplitude force that causes that joint to cavitate. So that cavitation is is inducing motion into a joint that that preferably when we adjust is not moving as much as it should. Um, so the adjustment that we're looking for are, are finding areas of the spine and areas of regions of the spine that should move better than they do. A great example we see a lot of times is our mid-back is designed to be very mobile. Uh, and lack of motion in our mid-back oftentimes causes excessive motion in our necks and our low backs. So many times we're adjusting the mid part of the back because it's not doing its job um, and other things um, hurt because of it. So at the end, what you're really trying to do is free that area up. So if we unjam that, uh, we'll always follow that up with some corrective exercises given to the patient because we'll, we'll look at it as like we get the motion and then the next you know, 24 to 48 hours, we're going to give you some exercise to keep that motion so you can restore uh, proper mobility in a region. So that, that's really what you're looking to do is create a very quick generated kind of breakthrough adjustment um, to get everything freed up and moving and then use it or lose it. We give you the, the exercise to try to maintain that mobility. And, and depending on how jammed up it is, it may take a treatment or two to get that thing operating like it's supposed to. Or if it's relatively early onset, we may free that thing up right away. So that, that's what the ad adjustment is trying to do. Um, oftentimes people think it's an alignment thing. You're out of alignment and we're putting you back in alignment and Reality is you should really view it like a motion thing. When you're when you're not moving very well, we're trying to induce that motion. Um, and if you're jammed up, you're just generally not in a neutral position. So there there's an alignment component, but it's an effect, not the cause. So a lot of people will probably get pretty freaked out. You know, I know um, I, I went to a chiropractor years ago, and it's a pretty freaky sort of feeling the first time it's done. So how do you how do you sort of reassure people that? everything's going to be okay, risk factors and things like that. Is, is there much risk involved and should people, you know, what, what can people expect to feel? Does it, does it, you know, is it really going to hurt? Are they going to hear this huge cracking noise? So what's it actually like for the patient? 
Yeah, you know, you, you, I always try to remember I was a chiropractic patient for the first time too. Um, it's 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 a bit intimidating, especially when you don't know what to expect. So I've I've heard a lot of people have their assumptions, especially that have never been, and it's it's always kind of a funny topic. But um, um, you know, reality is when you walk the person through and let them know what's occurring, there's some some comfort in that. Um, that said, it's it's definitely unique uh, experiences because you you feel some popping, you feel some clicking, um, and it actually feels good. So there's there's no discomfort to it. Um, if there's ever discomfort to it, we're not we're not forcing a, an area to to be adjusted. But um, but no, I, I think patient education, getting them to understand what's occurring, um, knowing that the, the there's so much you know, integrity to the spine and, and what we're doing is trying to actually free things up that, that usually will give them comfort. And then the first couple of times it's, it's just a unique experience. And then once you get through it and you realize that, Oh man, that, that actually feels pretty good. And I feel better afterwards. Um, you know, our biggest skeptics more times than not become our biggest fans once they've truly experienced it. But if, if the barrier of entry is fear, um, then, then the people will, will always kind of have that fear, and it's not based on uh, experience. Well, and also for you guys, you need them to relax through the process, don't you? So to get them to that point where they are relaxing, to help them have the manipulation is an important aspect, I imagine. Oh, uh, for sure. I mean, you, you'd be a dummy to adjust somebody who's guarding you too much because mm-hmm. you'll actually you'll you'll strain muscles. So you know, part of the clinical experience is about knowing you know, when, when is appropriate, when's not. So, you know, by, by walking somebody through, explaining what it is, um, and an understandable level, there, there's some comfort with there and there, there's certainly a big trust factor with it. But by the time you walk them through their injury, um, by the time we're done explaining what's going on, it's an aha moment for the patients because they're like, man, that's what I've been going through for a long period of time. And, and I never realized you know, there was something else that I needed to deal with. I've only been patching things up. By the time you've walked them through there, there's a trust factor that they have in with you. Um, and then, you know, you, you proofs in the pudding. You know, they feel better afterwards. And then they start to become bigger fans. In fact, that's that's how we built a, a practice. You know, our job is to kind of work ourselves out of job, get people better and get them, get them back to their training. So by the time you know people come in, they may not know what you do, but they know they know it works. You know, you're a triathlete yourself, and I imagine you've got lots of triathlete friends. What what are some of the common triathlete problems you see as a chiropractor? <laughs> um, you know, most of them are self-inflicted, right? So <laughs> we're we're, uh, we're pretty tough cookies, man. Um, so you know, if we stopped every time something felt uncomfortable, I don't think we would ever um, endure in the sport. So. Um, you know, a lot of what we see is the cumulative cycle, right? So, you know, you put just in a little bit too much than the body can tolerate over a long period of time. Um, you, you, you don't, you don't adequately recover. Um, and our body's a safety mechanism. You know, we develop a lot of, you know, short-term solutions to, to that kind of abuse. Uh, and we start to develop, um, overuse injuries, so it's in they're notorious for being insidious, right? Something that was manageable that you could just train through, um, that started a fire that you couldn't quite put out. Um, and I would say those kind of injuries are, are our most common feature here. I mean, we're going to have people who acutely injure themselves, um, and those are easy to fix. But it's it's the cumulative cycle that we we generally see most of our injuries. Mm-hmm. Now I know you do. You know, obviously you do your adjustments in the in the Cairo side of um, of what you do, but you also do um, ART treatments. So maybe talk us. A lot of people will have seen that 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 brand or that logo out there and not be quite sure what it's all about. So maybe explain how you sort of bring that into into what you do and actually explain what ART is. Yeah. So 
when it comes to soft tissue work and and uh, and treatment, I mean, ART, active release techniques, the gold standard. Um, I mean, my clinical experience, what, why I gravitated to it is it is it was just the outcomes were were fantastic. I remember when I first started with the the technique, um, you know, people had said, "Be prepared, you're going to start getting uh, responses a lot quicker and people a lot better," which is um, which is which is great, but your 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 patient volume is going to go down, and you just got to trust in that. And um, uh, and it, it was very true. Um, ART is a uh, a technique, and there's a lot out there now. There's a lot of understanding of fascia and fibrosis and and the the changes to the connective tissue. Uh, it's not so much the damaged muscles as much as it's the fascia that creates a lot of problems for us. Mm. Um, and ART is exceptional in, in not only breaking that up, but something we think of as as relative motion, which is freeing uh, a lot of separate tissues that have similar movement patterns but subtle differences. So with the different you know protocols that we use and the different um, techniques, we're able to not only break up that scar tissue, but to separate, you know, just a classic thing is like an, an IT band if it starts to bind up to a lateral quad. You know, not only do we break up the fibrotic tissue, but we're able to separate those two together, free it up, and, and just get really good responses very quickly. Um, and that active release technique is, is the soft tissue component to our practice. And, and we use other things as well, but by far that's the, the most effective thing that we do. So, um, I mean... <laughs> I think this is probably a bit of a no-brainer question, but you've said a few times that you know a lot of the time, patients that come to see you, you know, they've got a problem. But do you actually get many people coming to you as a, um, a preventative measure to sort of prevent issues becoming a problem? And that would that be helpful for people that are actually listening to this, going, okay, I don't want to go to someone when I'm injured. I want to actually do some preventative measures. Is is the ART and the, and the chiropractic work something you do a lot as a preventative measure? Yeah, you know, so we look at recovery and we look at performance. Uh, and most of the patients that come in like that have experienced what we've done because they understand what they're missing. Um, you know, what we do is a day-to-day grind, right? If you're going to do Ironman, uh, you're just going to you're going to be you're going to be flirting with that fine line of like what's the uh, most amount I can tolerate to get fitter and faster without crossing that line. And, and quite honestly, we sometimes kind of just flirt with crossing that line. Um, and and we look from the preventative standpoint, and, and I look at it more like uh, injury reduction, not injury prevention, to make sure that you know as your body repairs and remodels and repairs and remodels, uh, you don't overcorrect regions. And so once we get to know the person's um, uh, movement patterns and kind of their some of their predictable things, we'll know where to go to first, and we'll do some general scans to see hey, did you lose right rotation, hip extension? Did you lose left rotation? Can you flex? Can you bend? And we'll take them through some scans uh, to see how well they're moving that may not show up yet. Again, a lot of what we see is a cumulative cycle, uh, and that starts with imbalance. Imbalance over a long period of time can develop to you know inflammation and pain. So the sooner early onset detection we teach somebody, um, the quicker we can be resolution for them. So when we look at performance management we're not telling them to come in every so often just because it feels good we're, we're telling them and teaching them some self-rolling techniques some self-mobility techniques some some general scans that we can take a look and see if the body is moving like it should uh, we teach them that they're the first responders right you, if you're early onset detection you feel some nicks and niggles that aren't clearing out if you do some of the self-help stuff that we teach you you may very well knock it out 
but if if something's building an undercurrent or you feel just kind of off and it's not resolving you get it get it looked at early because quite often we see what that is one treatment you're in you're out and you're gone so it's it's more uh, performance management as opposed to quote unquote maintenance right you're just trying to keep up with what your body's going through we'll find in the summertime when somebody's you know, maybe doing big volume training, you know, that's going to be a little bit more frequent than their training's a little bit more balanced in the wintertime when they're not doing things at a higher level. So, you know, they may not come in for a couple of months in the wintertime and they may be here uh, every couple of weeks and for, you know, their big 10 week build up to their A race. So just, just some, um, is there other things that we need to kind of think about in regards to kind of chiropractor or just the, the things that maybe you want people to know? Um, you, sort of. Yeah, I think it's important to know what you're getting into, right? So you want to find somebody that knows your sport well. You want to find somebody that, that practices um, with that kind of full f- uh, focus, right? If, you're, if your specialty um, and your expertise isn't necessarily – honed into these repetitive strain areas um, and 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 the big picture together. It's not just one of those places where you just get adjusted and, and you move on. I mean, there's a place for that. And people sit at desks all day long. They get tight. They get restricted. You get adjusted. That feels good. Um, but if you're really looking for the full package as far as like making sure that your body – we're we're really a quality of life clinic. You know, we want to, we want you feeling good. We want you staying healthy. We want you getting through life, um, you know, as healthy as you can. You want to make sure that you find somebody that that does all that stuff. That somebody that does the adjustment component, the soft tissue component, the corrective exercise component, um, and, and making sure you're getting the most of it. So you want to find somebody that that you know maybe in your circle of uh, sport that really has developed really good outcomes, really good um, uh, feedback from people that have been there. So you, you want to make sure that um, you've got a lot of trust there. So give, give yourself a plug. We, you know, when you're in Richmond, Virginia, website, how can, how can people find you? Yeah, we're, so we're Active Chiropractic Recovery and Performance. Um, we're in Richmond, Virginia, which is an awesome multi-sport state, R- Richmond Tri-Club. Um, so um, yeah, we're, we're uh, in a pretty cool place, lots of great uh, endurance terrain, and it's activechiropractic.com. Uh, my, my emails are green at activechiropractic.com, so you know, if anybody ever had any kind of direct questions or concerns, it more happy to kind of to, to communicate back and forth. Um, I like on your website, you have, you know, I looked at your page, and it had uh, who you've helped, and it's, you know, lots of credibility, lots of these kind of high-end things, and then you got, and humans. <laughs> I like that, I thought it was good. Did you see my singing capabilities? I said, uh, yeah, I'm an excellent singer. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, uh, you, you have actually, you've, you've done very well with your Ironman career. Um, you know, once you got the, the key to the door unlocked, you, you know, you've had some really good, consistent performances. So I thought we'd ask you our, our sort of regular questions. Oh, here we go. A lot of, uh, do you do drugs? Yeah, we're not going to ask the drug ones because we know there's a few age group drug cheats out there, but hopefully uh, not too yeah, many. I'd have to kick my own ass. Yeah. <laughs> um, so nutrition, what, what do you do on race morning for your, your pre-race meal? Uh, so pre-race, um, I keep it pretty simple. Uh, just some oatmeal, uh, peanut butter toast. I usually just try to get in what feels comfortable. And then I supplement that with, uh, with boost high protein, just a, like a, it's a geriatric drink to get your nutrition in. And, and it helps me make, get my caloric count up my protein in without feeling crazy bloated. 
and then um, you know an hour in, an hour out from the race time, I'll I'll, I'll take um, Generation UCAN. Um, that uh, as a as a recommendation from you guys has actually been a great addition. Uh, much better than just the the standard sports drink going in into the race. Uh, what do you eat dur- and drink during a typical Ironman? Uh, so eat and drink. So I, I use Infinite. I've mm-hmm. I found that to be really helpful because I could get my caloric um, bottles. I could get the the caloric value of the bottle up while keeping that osmolality. Um, so I could stomach it. So, um, I use infinite and then I will use two bonk breakers during the bike just to kind of keep some gastric distress down. Um, and then, uh, and then the run is just uh, as much Coke as I can tolerate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, technology wise, um, what do you use in in training and and racing in terms of, do you use power meter, um, GPS and all that sort of stuff? Do you you go, do you go by (laughs) field? That'd be good for nobody. Um, So I, I use a power meter like most most do, just to kind of keep things harnessed and, and directed, um, and run to pace on the run. But I, I did start using the Stride power meter. Um, I'm using it more from a, just a gathering data standpoint now. I've seen some kind of neat trends with that, but um, uh, I've not used it enough to kind of run to power specifically. Okay. Um, I'm starting to learn to get there, especially on hilly terrain. Um, but uh, but those are those are uh, those are the things I use. Uh, do you wax or shave? <laughs> so I, I shave. And even after um, John's uh, insight on what waxing's like, I have no, I'm still, I still don't want to do it. Uh, I was there last week and I'm, I'm good for a while. Man. He loves his wax. Uh, yeah, you, I'm, I'm a sissy. Do I'm you use uh, facial, facial moisturizer or any facial yeah, products? Sure. So I do, but mostly just because my wife put it in front of me and told sure. me. That yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. You're sure you do. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. No, no, no. So, so she put it in front of me. I was like, what do you do with this? And then I started using it. I was like, why have I not been doing this sooner? So no, it, it, um, you're it's been really helpful. I'm getting if, old now. So If you were to do, if you were trained properly and do an open marathon, what kind of time do you think you'd pop out? Um, so I don't know. I, I would like to, I'm, I'm not a crazy fast runner so i think maybe like lower 250s i would love to say i would run under 250 i just i just don't think that that's realistic and how does that compare what's your fastest iron man split uh fastest iron man was montre blanc um was a uh 317 i believe there you go sweet awesome well thanks for your time rob and um and hopefully you guys are all a bit more informed on what goes on when you know, you go I'll go to a chiropractor yeah that was a cracking interview <laughs> yes yeah there you go hey you know i do i do have one piece of advice i'd like to give um so a lot of the injuries that we see are, are truly self-inflicted uh you yeah. know spend the extra and, and get a coach get somebody that can protect you from you yeah um i mean I, i've done it john you're you're an awesome coach i, I can't plug what you do enough um, so if you're really on the fence or you find that yourself injured, stop, stop thinking about how to treat the injury and start thinking about the way you train and using some outside, in, um, somebody who doesn't have that emotional, um, connection to it that can maybe help you see through some of the stuff. I, I can't advise that enough. I think one of the best things you can do to reduce injury is, is get a good coach. It really is eh? because you, you don't make the mistakes you don't need to make, which is often no. the biggest problem, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And, and you want to perform well. I mean, really, at the end of the day, if, if you're looking, we do all this stuff because you want to race well. Uh, you need to harness it. And, and you know, you got to have a lot of drive for what we do. 
but you got to harness it and you need you need somebody in my experience i mean maybe maybe some people are doing a great job out there but as a whole we could all benefit from a, a great coach and, uh, and 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 john you're you're the best of the best buddy awesome rob oh uh, well, no you you get home to your girls uh you got a couple so rob again is a the balanced athlete you know he's got his own business there he's got a couple of girls at home and managed to figure it all out uh, to make it make it work and keep everybody happy so uh rob you have a great rest of your day and guys when you're out there riding that richmond virginia course on zwift that's where that's where rob's from you might see you might they might even have your business there eventually rob you know you ride past it there you go man yeah yeah i had, a, I had an opportunity to treat those uci athletes when they were here and that was uh just a, uh, it was just an awesome experience. So I appreciate it, boys. Uh, keep up the good work. Awesome, mate. Thanks for your time. So funny story, John. Years and I, years ago, I used to own some massage clinics. <laughs> Where's this guy? <laughs> <laughs> Not partners. Yeah. Clinics. You got to get that one right. Yeah. And we had this lady who came to work for us. Well, we needed a new massage therapist, and uh, and this lady came and she was Russian, and she was like. Think hard, you know. Think Russian, like yeah. you know, stereotypical James Russian. Bond, so James Bond, James Bond, yeah. And uh, and she came along, and she and she she was a bit intimidating because basically what happened was she was quite qualified at everything, mm-hmm. you know. She had degrees, like you know, that, but none of them were applicable in New Zealand. So the mm-hmm. only thing she could do was massage. Mm-hmm. So she goes, well, why don't I give your wife and you, oh, not my wife, my ex, uh, a trial? And so she gave Raylene a massage, and then she gets me on the bench, and she goes, and she, she goes, oh, you got all these problems. So she starts clicking me and stuff, and she goes, this next one here, and she was like stern air. There was no kind of like hardness to it. She goes, this next one here, if I get it wrong, could kill you. Now relax. <laughs> <laughs> she clicks my neck, and luckily I didn't die, but that's yeah. not what you tell somebody when you want them to relax. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure her. Rob Green wouldn't be doing that. You didn't hire her? No, well, the thing was, we should have, but my my partner was a bit intimidated by her. Right. Yeah, because she was, she was – a genius yeah she was one of those people who just spent her whole life working on bodies mm. and she could you know so like Stuart Craig the chiropractor I see one time I had a back problem and I went into him and I was real sore and I and I didn't even tell him where I was sore he lifted up my top and goes oh, I see your problem straight away mm. you know and there's just people who have worked with bodies their whole life who have that understanding I'm sure Rob's one of those people and um, you know and that's what she was like she just knew the body but yeah no, my wife bit my of time wife. invested in prevention can pay a lot well it's one thing we often tell our runners because when we get you know we're trying my 5k group we're dealing with total new runners and we really promote the idea of getting a muscle balance test done Mm -hmm. because we know that if they can get that done before they start their journey they're going to have to have a good plan to look after the problems they've got now we do generic strength work that's going to help them work on their core but or their fundamentals but if we can get them to do that work it really makes a big difference and one thing i always say at our seminar is I think it, we, whoever we get them to, to do it costs about 75 bucks to get a muscle balance mm-hmm. test done. And I say, look, you get a muscle balance test done and if it prevents injuries, it's going to save you more than $75 on exactly. what you're going to spend on an injury. And it really is, you mm-hmm. know, like, and when I used to do I mean, I used to always go get a muscle balance t- test done before mm-hmm. I started the journey. And it's actually an investment and it will save you money, but also the emotional stress and, you know, concern Absolutely. if you do get injured, especially if you really are going for a big A goal. So thanks, Rob, for your interview, mate. Great stuff. Uh, John, I'm going to put some music on.
what side, side of the week? week? We're looking at location of the Lanzagrotti course. Well, this this sort of came up because I wanted to have a look at uh, you know how hilly is the Ironman Lanzarote course, and I sort of plugged in Ironman Lanzarote GPS bike course or something. Came across this website called cyclinglocations.com, and not only does it go through the Ironman Lanzarote it's course, great, um, it you know, tells you the length, 180 k's. We know that total elevation gain, 2,300 meters. Um, but then it's got links to the to the main climbs. It's got a GPS um, route. It's got uh, some some video clips. But as I said, as you scroll down, it's telling you right the Porto Porto Calero is a Cat Four climb, 2.2 kilometers at five percent, and it goes through and tells you a little bit about about each of those, uh, each of the main climbs. So it's a pretty tough course when you look at the elevation map. It is. It's a, a lot of the climbs. Well, you can go through. I mean, a lot of climbs aren't crazy steep, but 2,300 meters is is a, is a fair whack of climbing. I just love the look of this course. So one day I'm going to get over there and do Lanzarote or Mallorca or something like that. I just love the the volcanic sort of nature of the the race. And they haven't got a volcano erupting over there, so it should be perfectly safe. Unlike Kona, like don't go to Kona. Kona Island is going to blow. Particularly in the next two days. <laughs> Um, but do you think we're just on that? Do you think you'd try to be a bit of a tourist and go have a look? Um, if we were going past, no. Okay. We were supposed to be going past, but the only thing that concerns me slightly is is the, the, the gas, is the air quality, yeah. and we were supposed to be biking fairly close to the area. And I've just said, nah, well, we've got a different bike ride yeah, in Um <clears throat> But on this website, cyclinglocations.com, it's also got lots of other destinations, Mallorca, Costa Blanca, Lanzarote, Tenerife, Girona, the Dolomites, the Basque Country, the Alps, Andorra, Costa de Roda. Uh, and so you've just got links off there, and it's got all the climbs, and it's got lots of places to stay. It's got I should have done Lanzarote, John. Hire your bikes. You should have done. You would have been really good on that course. Because I remember Melina said to me, you need to do a hard course. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was always a good climber, and uh, I should have done that, right? Because look at it. It's just a climbing race. 2022, why don't we go do it? Why 2022? I don't know, I've just I'm booked up to about the end. <laughs> okay. Lock it in, Eddie. 2022, we're doing yeah, that. 2018, four years' time. That'll give you time to get in shape. Jesus, could I do an I'll be aging again? up too. 45 49, go Lanzarote in May, and we'll go to Kona in, uh, in October. 20, the 2022 project. And that'll be, we'll be going to Kona that year. It's every second year. Oh, John, you're convincing me. Yeah. <laughs> the post-race interviews might be a bit, a bit slim that year because uh, we'll still be on the course yeah. and everybody, all the pros will have gone home. We'll have to get someone. The winner would have to be our interviewer. Lock it in. 2022 Ironman. Lanzarote. Iron Talk Camp in Lanzarote. Is Lanzarote close to um, Ibiza? Yeah. Okay, we're going to go Ibiza afterwards. Pretty sure. <laughs> have a win-win week. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to Ibiza. I don't know my... Uh, my <clears throat> the islands there very well, but it's uh, it's off the coast of Africa, just sort of off the Morocco, and yeah, yeah, good times. There we go. We're going to go easy flights. Twenty twenty two. Lock it in, Eddie. Lock it in. Okay, John, a wanger of the week. We have a wanger of the week. What are we going for? One, two, three, or four, Bevan? I'm going to say four. Four. So four is runtime. It's going to be that bloody Jim Plunkett cold. Is he again. still running across America? Oh, Strava is temporary unavailable. Sorry, oh. Jim. <laughs> So Strava, I've got the red light and I've got all the lines coming oh, off there, I'm so. on the same page, Jane. Yep, you're right. No, right. Strava, sharpen up. No wearing of the week. Sorry about that. Okay, my first try. We've got a Volca Volk. Yeah, okay. So basically, he sent us through an email saying it was the end of summer 2015 and I was living in Shanghai, China. Shanghai. Shanghai, sorry. Shanghai, China. I wanted to sign up for the Shanghai Half Marathon Autumn 2015 as I felt I needed to do something sporty due to partying, smoking and drinking too much, but was sold out. So I started looking on the web for other events 
events out there. I stumbled over a link for a race, the half Ironman in Thailand, Phuket, and just decided to sign up as I had never been to Thailand and I thought it would be a great way to combine something sport with a vocation. At the time, I was maybe running two to three times a week after work for about one five or two Ks. times a week. You're pumping it up. He was running one or oh, two, yeah, one times, two times, a times a week. Oh, one or two times a week at 5K and shabby 30 minutes and didn't even have a bicycle. Besides that, I'd never swam more than 500 metres. It was around 10 weeks before the race, so I decided. Uh, so I went to the only bike shop I knew in uh, Shanghai and bought my first ever road bike, an entry-level Trek Carbon Bike. Uh, and started cycling in Shanghai. Which can't be, cycling in Shanghai, I think that's quasi-cycling, I think. Well, no, because well, I've been here, and yeah. it's actually, the roading infrastructure is amazing. Yeah. They don't really understand road rules, <laughs> but the infrastructure is amazing. Okay. I found a good group of guys and got quickly into it. The swimming was mediocre as I trained in a 16-meter pool. <laughs> That can't be good fun. Yeah. Uh, but I got up some great pool time done as well as some running. Fast forward to November and I arrived in the heat of Thailand, 39 degrees and brutally, or brutal humidity. I was so excited about the race and obviously didn't even check the rules for that part that I took a waterproof digital camera with me and even did some selfies during the swim part. That's gold. That is gold. <laughs> I'm sure those around you love the fact you were doing that. As well as a video log during the bike. I managed around 40 minutes in the swim. Oh, it's a half. I was thinking, Jesus, this is smoking fast. And just over three hours on the bike with its brutal hills before I absolutely died on the run, finishing in six hours, 18 minutes. But somehow I love the atmosphere, especially post-race party and drinks with the pros like Tim O'Donnell and the legend Jürgen Zach, who became my first coach and was superb. Since then, I've done around 20 half Ironmans and qualified twice for the 70.3 champs in Australia and South Africa. Did my first full Ironman Taiwan 11 months after my first ever one. Managed an 9.38 in Frankfurt last year and now dream of Kona in either 2018 or 2019. The sport has totally turned my life um, my, around my lifestyle. And I'm now 35. I am fitter than I have ever been. It's a great story, isn't it? And you go, 9.38 in Frankfurt is it's solid. Smoking, yeah. Solid. <laughs> you could have to knock 40 minutes off that to probably qualify. Oh, to qualify, yeah. Anyhow, I love that. I love that because it's just when you go. I love these stories when it's just so naive. You There's go a into moment, race hey, yeah. and you're taking selfies and <laughs> stuff like that <laughs> through this course. Now, I can understand how that would really piss some people off. If people do that and they're staying out of the way, what's really the problem? Yeah, um, it's actually probably probably get disqualified for it. It's probably actually against the rules. Um, yeah, it would be. But uh, loved it. Nice work. So Volker Voigt. Love your first try. Yep, just love you, love you. Okay, three, two, one. Questions and answers. answers. Now, Peter Thorthias. Yeah, I, I responded to your email, and your email sent a block back. So you may need to check out your email. Just I can, um, I can see the email that he's written in there is incorrect. Oh, is so, it? Yeah, he's got at yahoo.com.su. Oh. it should be yahoo.com. AU or AUS or whatever okay. it is. Okay, there you go. So there, Peter, write your email, right? <laughs> okay, so possible. So basically he's saying, being a fellow competitor in triathlon and experienced numerous times being caught up in draft packs, I do think it's possible to break the packs and issue out penalties by the means of the using, using timing points over a set distance to measure speed, position, and distance covered. With a, a few of these penalty spots on the course, penalties could be electrically logged and maybe penalty display board on the run course would notify the athletes to stop at a run penalty box or maybe a time penalty added to their result. That's interesting. We haven't thought about that. I, look, I, I don't think this would work because you'd have to have about a million bloody timing mats. No, but I mean the idea of adding a time penalty to your result. 
Uh, that that used to be relatively common practice. Oh, You'd add okay. one one or two minutes onto your onto your time. So okay, so he's got. The, I guess the time company would have to work with the officials to make this work, and be uniform across most events. Because that, that, that this is the problem is if you are busting big packs, and this is how what I experienced in Kona is. Okay, you're going to bust 30 people in that uh, in Kona, for example. Everybody pulls up the tent. There's only like two or three officials there. Oh, I know, so I know a guy who just went in, went out. Oh, what would that be? <laughs> uh, so you got. If there was a way to get some automation to it, it would be really good. But this did get me thinking. I was wondering if you could have some sort of sensor um, on your bike that would be able to measure the distance between you. Know, if everybody had a sensor on their bike, whether it's got some sort of proximity sensor. So it's on basically it. being the marshal. Yeah, but but it might not necessarily give you automatically give you the penalty, but it would tell you if you're in the draft. Oh, okay, okay. So, so it's you know, more of a like a, when you're watching rugby or league and you see a good referee and actually telling the players, look, you do this, stay away, yeah. stay away. But you know, so you might have it might be sitting on I don't know somehow attached to your handlebars. Everybody's got to have one, and if you're within uh, 12 meters of somebody else that has one of them, it starts flashing red or something like that, and. And I know it probably wouldn't work perfectly because then you're going to have people passing you and then it's going to start flashing when somebody's um, next to you. So I don't really know. I wonder if the technology is out there to do that because that's just one way. We, I think we've got to look at this from quite a few different angles. Yes, we want to have more officials out there that are actually doing their job. You want to make sure that people are actually educated so they know the rules and they know that it's wrong to draft. And they're actually. And then thirdly, we're actually all trying to make an effort not to cause drafting to sort of um, back up behind us. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. So I think if we attack this with quite a few more tools, it would be good. So I wonder if there is some sort of sensor you could have out there to, to, to tell you when you are inside the draft zone. Yeah, there will go. I imagine there will become a time in the future where we will technology will use technology. Mm -hmm. I don't know how far away it is, but there will come a time where they will use that even to catch the cheats. Uh, a question I have to think about there is, how long do you think it will be before Kona becomes, has the rote 1K rule? Because it seems such a great rule. Oh, yeah. You know, like you talked about how, you know, you went to the box and it was just a disaster. Mm. Um, the 1K rule, the run 1K rule is such a great rule. Mm. And it would be really cool to see that in Kona because, it, you know, as we talked about when we talked about the subject a few weeks ago, it's such a deterrent. Mm. You know, and if you put that in Kona, where people are really trying to, you know, age group champs and all the rest of it, it really kind of makes you think twice about these kind of situations. John, Challenge have announced that the Challenge family are to host the first world screening of We Are Triathletes, a feature film. So Challenge family is proud to announce that the film We Are Triathletes will be shown exclusively during two of their races, even before the world's official wide release in August 2018. The first will be at the championship race and the second will be at Challenge Road. So it's a documentary, it's a feature-length documentary. It follows six athletes. Um, and there I have got a small clip if you go to, I've got I'll put the link on this week's website. But um, Marinda Carfrey, Luke McKenzie, Rudy Garcia Tolson. He's the guy um no arms. Uh, no arms, no legs. No legs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from these down he's he's done Kona before and done lots of other things. As well as Felix. So this was a must have been a couple of years ago because remember Felix raced um, a few years ago yeah. and it's been a couple of years since Marinda Carfrey. So I'm I'm picking this as probably from two thousand sixteen. Twenty sixteen. Either 2015 or 2016. She, she did win it. Didn't she, she did. It was her and Rachel Joyce went super, super fast. Uh, so they uh, do here because they've never really gone into the <coughs> storytelling. You know, they've probably done short YouTube clips, but 
obviously. And if you look at the trailer, they do show some kind of footage. Yes, yeah, I think it's going to be really cool, actually. I mean, I initially, I got, this, I initially got this press release, and oh, another press release is going to be another sort of half-hour clip. This is actually going to be a full-on Yeah, no, it's 90 minutes long. Yeah. And I think it's going to be quite different to what we see in Kona, which is, you know, really about... It's really, really good, but I just think this is going to show a bit more of the, the athlete's build-up for the pros. You're going to have Felix here as well. I just think it's, it looks really cool. It's also is going to be in America. There's going to be a special screening at the Challenge Athletes Foundation in San Diego in California on June the 13th. So they're saying there's going to be screenings at these races. I wonder well, what that going, means. Ben. We'll be there. Yeah, we're, 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 and, we need, to, we need the ticket. And right, they're going to do it on like a big screen. And but uh, was that just going to be on the background of the races happening, or are they going to have? I think it's just sit down. like an outdoor night thing. Yeah, I think it's going to be an outdoor night. Oh, John, we're, we're going to make the world premiere. Movie night. We're going to have to get my good clothes on the red carpet. Yeah. Oh, John. Oh, it's going to be a highlight of our, our podcasting career. There you go. Okay, so I'll put a link if you want to go check it out. It's a very small trailer, but you can go check it out. They, they call it a teaser trailer, John. Right. Is that what they call it? Those and no. You know, those and no, these things. Okay, John, patrons. David, hail to the king, hail. Nice. We've got Adrian Fui Michael Meat Muncher Egan. Colette Coasting Andrews. John, if you want to become a patron on the show, go to www.imtalk.me and it's all pretty obvious. Um, I reckon one thing we need to do over the next period of time, I listen to a, a podcast by a guy called Bill Simmons. He's a sporting American guy. He talks a lot about basketball. I'm not a big basketball fan, but kind of is always on the background here, some good interviews. But they, they love talking about the GOAT, the greatest ever. I reckon we should do over the next period of time, greatest of eras. Okay. So how many eras do you reckon has been in the sport? Four, five? Oh, I thought it was pretty decade related. You know, you got the 80s and 90s in the post-Olympic era, sort of, yes, I'd say fairly 10 years is a pretty decent, uh, okay. decent number. So maybe over the next period of time, we should do a bit of a block on the greatest, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, and then the GOAT. Obviously, Mark Allen's still the GOAT. Mm -hmm. Is this going to be long course specific or not? Well, let's say triathlete. Well, okay, you do your research on that one. Well, <laughs> I will, John, you know me. <laughs> yeah. I love doing the research. You know, that's to look forward to that team that's coming up soon. It's easy if you do Ironman, because you're basically looking at kind of results. Well, maybe we do both. Maybe we go Ironman, ITU, and then the winner overall. Okay. Because like, There's no winner overall. That's just stupidity. What do you mean? In the last 10 years, Brownlee's the winner overall. Well, but he hasn't done it. He hasn't done Kona. Yeah, but he's he still says the greatest the triathlete the in the last Olympic, ten years. No, he's the fastest Olympic distance triathlete of the, the last ten yeah, years. Yeah, but I, I would say the best triathlete in the last ten years. You can't. You can. I just you, did. You I just did. I'll prove it. I just did it then. Who, go, who would you say? Um, we can't. I don't think there's anybody that's dominated overall distances. If we talk since 2010, you'd probably go. When did Frodo win? Um, Olympics, 2008, 2008 so he doesn't qualify. There is no greatest. <laughs> you, you know what you are? You're the person who turns up to the dress-up party not wearing anything. Well, not no, but wearing something. Thank God for that. But you go, oh, I don't like dress-up parties. How does that relate to this? Because it's a great idea. <laughs> I'm putting it forward. And yet, once again, you're bloody dismissive of me. <laughs> Jesus, it's like flying all over the place here. Story of my I'm life. I'm so angry about Kona. Everybody go to Kona. Come nah, this way. Stay away from Kona, people. <laughs> it's blowing up. John, watch your goss. Uh, Always get sponsors. Extreme endurance. You like the buffer. And our patrons. And you go to www.bionetalk.me. Mm. Also, you email us. Listen in next week for the goat feature. <laughs> The goat feature, here we go. We're going to get a goat sound. There's our yeah. sound effect. I'm doing it, John. What's the it going to be a goat sound? Um, 
What is the goat sound? There we go. There we go. That's going to be our goat sound. That's even more reason to do it. Turn up to the dress up party with a dress up outfit on, John. Um, oh, John, you know, your I, goss. I, you know, I do dress up at dress up parties. What's your favourite dress up? What's the best one you've done? Well, it wasn't really a dress up party, but my still. You can't, did you come to my stag do or not? Were we around? Were we, no, because I was. Been, no, because I just you met you then. We just started training together. Mm. I didn't get an invite to the wedding. No, <laughs> I was no, like, I probably started training. You're like, you, you, I know you're a tight ass. So you would have gone, no, nah, I'm not paying for this yeah, random yeah, to come along. Exactly. I have, am I going to know him 10 years from now? <laughs> it's probably. But I do think that the, the, the dress up I was forced to wear that day was uh, took the cake. It had the, the ass cut out of a pair oh, of black yeah, shorts. Yeah, yeah. I think I remember photos. Down there, and then it had a, a pink top with a love heart, which sort of had more my Put out your eyes. Yeah, yeah. put out my eyes. Yeah. That's probably my best. What's your best dress up, Ben? I once went as Frankfurter from the Rocky Show. Show. Right. You, you need to be in good shape to pull off that one, John. Okay. You need to be, in, you, you know, you, you can't have had too many pies. And luckily, it was when I was doing Iron Man, so I could pull it off. Mm. Uh, that was probably. One time when I was younger, I went as a Riddler and I, I, I spent hours searching all these riddles mm. and I lost it. Oh, <laughs> I nice. turned up to the party. Yeah. I lost my riddles. I was a bit gutted about that. John, you goss. Goss, going to Kona on Thursday. Oh, be careful, John. Be careful. <laughs> careful. Oh, nice knowing you guys. And <laughs> so that's going to be good times. Camps kicks off on, people assembling on Friday, kick off on Saturday, riding the Ironman course on Sunday. Uh, just a good solid. Are they doing the race? Yep, 70.3 the weekend after. It's a great race at 70.3 if you want to get over there. Entries are still open by the look of it, so you could do a sneaky little late entry. Kona slots on the line this year, 24 Kona slots. Well, Brett Tiggy's going over. Yeah, he's yeah. going to bring the title back to Christchurch. No, I'm not racing. Lots of people seem to be asking, are you racing? You are the no, defending champion. I am the defending champion. It's going to stay there. You day. think you get to give the award at the finish? We'll go and find out about that. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's what's coming up this week. Gotta pack the, I'm going to pack the bike tonight, go out for the last ride, and... Looking forward to that. Did a running race at the weekend. Oh, that's right. You told me. How did it go? It was, uh, initially I was thinking I didn't do that well, but on reflection, the results, I think I actually did okay. But again, this is coming. What's your comparison point? Well, my, my objectives for the race were, this is a little bit defeatist, but number one objective was not to get injured. Okay. <laughs> the first time I wore spikes uh, for several years, and the last time I wore spikes, I got injured, uh, pulled my car. What made you decide to wear them? Oh, it was, it was. Of course, you really need that. It was quite a soft surface okay. and a bit of sand running, and, and so a significant advantage wearing spikes. Uh, so that was that was objective number one was was that. And when I got there, uh, found out it was six laps, six laps of one point five k. It's like wowzers! I'm gonna have to run pretty well not to get lapped here. Oh, so that was objective number okay. two. Nice. That was purely an ego thing, and I didn't get lapped, so that was good. But great, some of these courses are fantastic. That's real old school here in Christchurch, the, the cross country circuit. But six laps and one and a half k. But spectator friendly. Like Thomas stayed out there and watched after he'd done his race. He got to see me. He was saying about five or six times a lap. Oh wow! Uh, so that's great. So uh, really cool spectacles. You run sort of through this forest and come back out. Little sand hills here and there, and uh, won my age group. Not that that was saying much because it wasn't the okay. was it wasn't claim it, here, but, I'll, but I'll claim it. Uh, and overall, you know, for where my fitness is at, it was about as good as I could expect. Good a little time. bit, still, still a little bit sore. Today's Tuesday, and I raced on Saturday. So, and given it was soft surfaces, but geez, running when you do a six lapper and you haven't raced for a long time, you haven't done short stuff, haven't done you know, this is yeah, a 9k race. I've done a couple of sort of four or five k ones, but nine k's you came through the first lap and you're like, Holy crap, I've got five of these to go! Uh, so good times, really cool course. Good times, rock and roll. What's happening in your world, Bevan? Well, my daughter turned 21, mm -hmm. and uh. 
it was quite cool, John, because it's crazy how time flies, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah, it is crazy how time flies. And so we wanted, to, we gave her some money because she's traveling. So we, we wanted to give her some money to go travel. But I thought I'll do something that's special. So I made this video. So I basically got all the photos she's ever got. Mm-hmm. And then I got all the videos that I had of her. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, not all of them. I didn't put all the videos on there. But it's basically, it was like an hour 10 long. Wow. Um, and it took me hours to make but it was but you know it was it was quite a cool thing to do because it's obviously when your kids turn you know there's landmark ages that you kind of have so obviously it's a bit of a nostalgic type any time anyway so it was quite emotional making it uh so then on sunday morning because she's over in kins so and i'm actually going to kins in a couple weeks to see her so oh, you guys know that so um i gave it to her in the morning and basically i said oh, I, I thought i'll send it before she wakes up mm-hmm. and then i'll go to the gym and then i'll call her afterwards well, I so I sent it to her at eight o'clock, and I go to the gym at nine. So I had breakfast, and I went back, and she must have got up early because my daughter's not normally, normally <laughs> an early morning person, but she must have been up at six. And she started watching it, and I rang her, and she said, "Oh," and she was making comments on as she was watching it mm-hmm. on on their Facebook feed. Um, and I rang her, and she was bawling her eyes out. And I tell you what, mate, I lost the plot. <laughs> like it was, it was, it was a pretty special moment, you know. You, you know, like yeah, it's cool to watch your kids grow up. She didn't do a yardy. No, because she's not really a party animal nowadays. <laughs> yeah, girls don't do yardies. You're supposed to say girls don't do yardies. Some girls do. Did you do a yardie? Yeah. How, how long did it take you to do a yardie? Uh, it wasn't too bad an effort. No, I was pretty pretty happy with that. I was 45 effort. seconds. Really? Yeah, that's good. See, you see the surprise in his voice. That is very, very quick. Yeah. Uh, I had it on my stopwatch on my watch for years. I was so proud yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah. And you did beer. Yeah. But I, wasn't a, I was a hopeless drinker. But my mate Marky Mark, he was the genius because he did a few weeks before me. I could drink fast. That was the one thing that went for me. It was the last time I technically got drunk. Mm-hmm. So it was on the 21st. When I'd given up drinking about eight months beforehand, or maybe a little bit before that, turn up and... Um, but my mate Marky Mark said to me, whatever you do, you've got to make sure your first drink's the best drink because once you start spewing, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. And so I remember just thinking, okay, just take as much as you can on this first one. Mm-hmm. And my dad was pouring it and he, <laughs> and he was going, come on, son, come on. <laughs> and I remember I just kept taking it in and then eventually it was like a balloon full of water. Eventually yeah. I was like, no, no, I just went, quick spew and I got it done in a second gulp. Very yeah, nice. I was pretty proud of myself. Yeah. And that's basically I gave it drinking because it's bad for you. Nice. You don't want to drink like that. <laughs> So, so yep. So my daughter turned twenty-one. Um, the house is on the market. Yep. John Hancock told me off. Did you see the email he sent? He said, "Why are you telling everybody where you're moving to? It's not like you're going to Azerbaijan or anything." Well, with John, we're going to Azerbaijan. <laughs> <laughs> no, we um. So we're moving two hundred meters from where we live right now. And the as a bird flies. Purpose is so I've got to ride further up a hill. That's right. So we're basically five hundred meters in a car. 200 meters and it's actually it's quite bizarre because you know we've got the um kindergarten across the road from us right so there's a long driveway and so we thought oh i wonder if you can see it and you walk down that driveway and you go oh my god it's like really is 200 meters away so um why the move um we both work from home we wanted a slightly bigger house for that reason mm-hmm. um it's a pretty nice house mm-hmm. um our house is on the market if you're in Christchurch, you want to love it actually one of our listeners did email me mm-hmm. sharon Mm-hmm. She thinks she might have even come in and look. Oh, I hope you didn't look at my undie drawer. You know, <laughs> you know, keep out of my drawers, Sharon. I know you. You know, um, if you're on a great place in Kashmir, Hackthorn Road, great training area, mm-hmm. great views. Yeah, lovely views. Easy care, great for yeah. entertaining. Yeah, yeah. Swimming pool next door. Swimming pool next door. When they go away on holidays, we always sneak in for a few swims. Yeah. So there we go. Great area, Kashmir. Oh yeah. So check it out. Go to trade me. 
Yeah. Okay, Cashmere, we'll go back to the road and you can check out our house. Anyway, that's uh, that's yeah. So we go to auction in two weeks. Nice. So good times. Good I'm times. Russ. Oh, you've had enough of you. See, team. Oh, I hope oh, the volcano goes off. Hey, Here we go. I'll bring you back. I'm Russ. I hope you know. Train hard. Train smart. Kick up.